You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. This week, we're bringing you an episode from the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Uh, we're here on Granville Island, which is the main site for all fringe uh, activities here in Vancouver. There is a secondary site, uh, which we are performing uh, for Body and Light. Uh, and of course, some bring your own venues that are scattered around town. Um, for now, though, we're going to be speaking about other people's projects, but of course, uh, we've got some uh, dance artists and some theater artists lined up to talk to us about their movement-related works as part of the Vancouver 2014 Fringe Festival. Uh, we're going to be starting with uh, Mr. Ryan Karen from the show Puss Reboot, and uh, I'm just going to take the opportunity to make note of uh, a fun link. Back in uh, 2012, in December, we had... Uh, Stephanie McKenna and Eleanor Young on to talk about Puss in Boots, which is their their pantomime production that was uh, taking place at the uh, Hudson Village Theater. Um, and that was one of my favorite episodes. It was one of our first episodes ever, and it was it was just such a, a fun time and, and really kind of a learning experience for me. But back to uh, what we're talking about today, the Puss reboot, which is uh, actually kind of a... a bounces off of, of Puss in Boots, but has definitely taken its own kind of uh, approach to this story. It's a multimedia kind of production. Uh, perhaps, Ryan, you can, you can give us a, an overview of what the show is. Sure. Um, bouncing off the fairy tales is a good way to put it. Um, our writer, Emily, uh, took a lot of I guess Blade Runner, a lot of science fiction, a lot of genre um, tropes, um, and with her, we, we were really experimenting with um, what what of all those different extremely stylized storytelling devices could we could we um, mesh together and and blend together with this other very very stylized very classical well known genre um, fairy tales. Um, so Puss uh, Puss in Boots the storyline um, was our our starting inspiration, and uh, we built layers and layers and layers of um of character and character type and uh and trope and um really relationship on top of that that framework structure of um the often very shallow characters of fairy tales told a million times over a million different ways um the intention of making something very uh very different than what you usually see in uh in a narrative theater piece and we're lucky to be speaking with you, Ryan, because your your background is actually you have um, some kabuki dance performance in in your history. Do you want to tell us a bit about your your training, both in theater and kabuki? Of course. Um, so I've been studying uh, kabuki dance uh, performance um, for I'm going on my sixth year now, I believe, uh, with the company Tomoe Arts. Um, I study under uh, Colleen Lanky, whose dance uh, dances under the name Fujima Sayu with the Fujima family. Um, she is uh, a natori dancer uh, who studied in Japan under uh, Fujima Yuko and uh, Fujima Shogo. And um, yeah, it's, it's a style I stumbled into. I uh, met Colleen in, in university when I was doing all sorts of uh, Broadway-style performance and uh, 
goofy musicals and little jazz modern pieces and um and I, I just fell in love with it instantly. It's a it's a style that is so precise and so um, mimetic in its movements that uh, it blended naturally with the um, the physical theater styles that I, I'm really inspired by. Um, everything down to fundamental lab and movements, you know, analyzing and breaking down uh, how the body uh, articulates is um, my favorite way of approaching theater. So. Um, that all mesh together nicely and uh yeah uh personally i find it very uncommon to to bump into somebody who's uh who's Mm. studied uh, kabuki is that is that uh different here in vancouver or is is it of your experience are you doing something pretty unique um it's it's a lot of dumb luck that brought me to this form um it it is unique especially in canada especially north america um there are there's two dance teachers uh of this style in the city um Colleen's the only one taking new students anyway as as um the other teacher I believe is um quite elderly and and practices for her own um her own interests and um in North America there's maybe half a dozen similar similar dis- uh teachers and disciplines um that I've ever encountered maybe one down in Seattle um certainly some in Hawaii actually but uh as far as Canada goes um this is this is about it for this this particular lineage and form, at least. Now, now you're you're directing this production, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering how this comes in um, in in a creative process for you. How does it blend with mm-hmm. the rest of your theater training? Uh, of course, I mean a, a piece like Puss Reboot. It's it's not a dance piece uh, at all. We do have um, fight choreography and some very um, pre-planned, careful movement. But um, my dance background and training and interests always always play into process for me when when creating a new work uh and working with an actor um again i I came from physical theater background before even dancing and um the technique and precision um by which we study choreography in in kabuki it's um it's a an oral tradition and we learn by learning dances there's no um there's no no routine there's no um warm-up it's it's very much a learn by doing form. So um, every rehearsal, every lesson means learning a story and learning how to tell that in extremely codified ways with my body. And um, many of these these stories, these choreographies are hundreds of years old and have been passed through uh, dozens of, of minds and artists over generations. So um, all the text work, all the character work, what anything means is is largely lost. Um, so I, uh, as a dancer, have to practice um, discovering meaning in those movements and um, choosing, making very, very pre- precise choices. Um, and when I'm, uh, as an actor, or and more when, when uh, working with actors as director, um, when we're blocking on movement or when we're discovering a physicality of uh, a character, um, I approach it similarly to how um, I come to understand the the body and the personality of a character in a dance piece. Um, as most kabuki pieces are, are a theatrical performance of a, a character and a story um, told within that codified language. And um, the practice of finding a person in posture and in very precise movements of a hand, of, um, of a, shoulder, a subtle shoulder drop, um, 
allows me to see the value in that subtlety in a physical performance in in any Western theater in any physical character, and um, and to look for that same level of of precision. Um, so with uh, with Puss Reboot, for example, with uh, Sarah Sarah Harrison, our our uh, actor playing Puss. The, the cyborg um, we spent uh, a large swath of our rehearsal time uh, breaking down what does what does the body of a cyborg move like and perform like and what are the the trappings and, and the tropes of that and uh, when she's freed when she's rebooted to herself what is available to her now that was restricted before what is now free versus controlled and um, we did it in broad strokes in movements improvisational work exercises as well as in very fine uh, fine precise moments of you know, what are you doing with that glass how are you holding it how is it different but different in these personalities and uh, and uh, really nitpicking the intention behind that um, Sarah especially is is a wizard with text she's uh, um, character driven and instinctually understands those backgrounds so um, it was such a fun uh, exercise for me to uh, to throw something completely different at her um, as a challenge to find the other half of that character. So you would say that Puss uh, Reboot is a very uh, character-based work. The work is very centered around this character of Puss. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you speak of the cyborg. Mm-hmm. So what was the, what was the inspiration in, in kind of creating... Uh, this Puss in Boots story and taking it into this very uh, fantastical uh, sci-fi realm. Mm. Um, it's it's hard to, to speak to specific inspirations. It's something our writer and our producer, my co-director, Amanda, um, so Emily and Amanda, have been um, gestating for well over a year. And um, I think science fiction um, and these characters, these... these um, Types, cyborgs, um, the corporate businessmen who we have, the um, the the young idealistic rebel who you know could fit out of Les Mis or any number of old um, Vatican or, or Henrik von Kleist plays. Um, these are recurrent human tropes retold with new technology, with new um, new dressing, and uh, in meshing a modern genre like sci-fi with a classical genre like. Um, like fairy tales, we, we strip apart the, the Miller and the Industrial Revolution that uh, were the vehicles of the time and replace it with something that's um, new and challenging to the awareness of modern audience, science and personhood, and um, the blurring lines between personhood and identity, and uh, if a computer can work like a human, then is it a human? If a cyborg is a human, but it's used as a computer, then what of that potential human these really weird questions that didn't exist um but i think still connect with the the moral quandary of classic fairy tales that is um iconic of classic fairy tales and all of this is brought to life by movement through this uh character development that's the goal. Um, now, this work uh, is it's 30 minutes. It's extremely tight and short. Um, it was conceived as, I think, a 45-minute or half-an-hour play, um, rewritten as a film, and finally, through dumb luck, uh, we, we got a waitlist slot that was half an hour, so we had to prune and prune and prune. And what, was, what we preserved of this piece was the relationships and the um, big characters of the, um, 
the three lead characters, as well as two small supporting characters played by one one actor who takes three roles. Um, I I had no work to do with Andrew, who plays uh, Jed, the the brother, the ogre, um, as well as a few supporting roles. He's an instinctual character performer who just morphs himself as much as possible. But um, with the with with Puss, um, with the cyborg character, it was so important to me to find. Th- as many nuances of subtlety as we could as we could fit in in a piece of this length um th- uh, we often i think oftentimes i think we chose uh whenever necessary to prioritize character and relationship and presentation of that aesthetic over plot because of the size so um we've we lost a lot of the story we initially meant to tell but we use that story to create characters who we hope are Engaging and um, engaging and intriguing and a little mysterious and have a, have a depth that uh, is layered and um, and shares with you something of the the moral and the story without a without a ham fisted presentation of of that plot of that uh, of any messages that we may have snuck in and around. How does your uh, creative process change or, or alter when you're working with dance as opposed to working with theater? Um, do you work very similarly or, or do you kind of change your mannerism of coming at a, at a piece in, in creation? You know, the, the biggest difference for me is, is text. Um, when I'm working with dance, text is, um, is not my first, uh, the first language. And... Um, in, in a kabuki piece, I hardly comprehend that text. I um, can pick up keywords. I can pick up key beats. And my teacher highlights those moments. Um, but the text in music is um, first a benchmark for me, for marking pacing, for marking emotional, um, emotional pacing and rhythm of a piece. And uh, later, once I understand the choreography and once it's, it's living in my body, essentially, then I, I'll, I'll go back and I'll review a translation of the text um, to understand it more fully and, and add those nuances in that depth. Um, in theater, it's, it's often the opposite. Uh, I, I tend to work from a text, text first place. Um, but whereas that, the mediating factor is the same, um, I can take text and translate that in my body or translate that in the actor's body and in in uh in the movements and in the physicality or i can take a presented sequence of choreography and from that distill what is the the mood and the movement and the personality and of of this body um and then i fill in whatever's the blank so filling in the text that wasn't there before using that body that I've created or phys- filling in that movement, that choreography that didn't exist before using the body and the character that I've created inspired by the text. So working in two directions, but with the same middle, the same mediating middle of, of the body, of the dancing body. Uh, your description of these um, styles kind of supporting each other is, is, is so interesting and, and intriguing. I'm wondering because... Um, there's a lot of, of inspiring kind of combinations of different art forms coming together to support each other. Is, is there something you can point to as uh, inspiration or another uh, 
medium that is interesting to you or intriguing to you, perhaps another style of dance that you um, are interested in exploring or, or other partnerships between mediums that you are excited about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm always interested in, in the new opportunities created by evolving medium. I mean, I'm on a podcast right now. That's, that's such a new medium. And, um, uh, something I'm so proud of and so excited about in the company that I study with Tomoe Arts is, um, our, our core mandate is to explore a fusion. Um, we, uh, we teach and we present classical work, codified classical work. And we, um, work very hard to keep that alive and present that to the community who are interested. Um, but we are always striving to do fusion works and new pieces inspired by that classical movement. Um, this summer, we did a uh, uh, an in concert piece called "Fragments of Weaver Woman" of the Weaver Woman, uh, inspired by a Korean poem, uh, using spoken word, using um, contemporary and classical dance uh, language and choreography uh, in a combination. Um, we've done similar works in the past, and this summer our Sorry, this and this fall, um, our next production in, involves um, a German poem and this really uh, amazing, intricate costuming. Um, I'm fascinated by Buto. I'm fascinated by um, new media and meme culture and uh, web series culture. Um, and I think there's a real potential um, to take advantage of all of those things and smush them together into uh, into something I've yet to figure out, yet to discover. But I, I hope to. That's that's the the practice that I um, I dream of for the next ten years, twenty years is um, you know, putting Buto on a podcast. I don't know. Putting uh, how would that even translate? Putting um, putting some Kabuki into Harold Pinter and uh, that um, that fusion that is. Um, you know, I don't. I don't fall in love with the stories usually of of a piece I dance. It's it's a rare piece. Um, they're so often these dated, uh, gender gendered stories of um, a woman dying of loneliness because her lover's cheating on her, or some um, bizarre love stories. Um, and those aren't necessarily my life, but those are human, really resonant emotions that I can learn from and be inspired by, and then learn how to create those emotions and that range and that character and then tell a ridiculous goofy science fiction piece with it or um, use it in a comedy sketch piece last year I I used the movement piece uh, the movements and the the coda the kata of it Um, and uh, yeah once you once you once you get one step past the, the surface it's it's this wild west of language that you can say anything with. Does Nick Knock Media have future plans? Is it uh, something that we can we can keep track of and, and look forward to future productions from? Um, I hope so. Uh, Nick Knock is um, it's a lovely vehicle with that with that driving motif of new media, new work. Um, our uh, producer and artistic director Amanda, my co-director, um, her whole field of study was 
digital media and theater, um, working with Theater for Living, formerly Headlines Theater, working with projections and filming of live performance and interactive live digital experiences. Um, I bring a very different classical background to the company, um, and I try and bring that every opportunity I can. So um, we're always looking to mesh things, and we're always looking to create something new from all of our wants and pop culture and classical conservatory backgrounds and uh, I actually don't know what's next but hopefully it uses all this stuff still <laughs> grows it it sounds like what you're talking about is this very exciting uh, interdisciplinary approach which I feel from what I've heard is is incredibly um, present here in Vancouver especially in the arts is uh, this incredible uh, interest in expanding past the form of art that you're you're comfortable in and and just trying out everything you can and seeing what can feed your process and and who you can collaborate with to to really push your work so that sounds very exciting the direction that that you're taking mm -hmm. it's um it's certainly a, a special part of Vancouver culture I mean um, our company has often collaborated with Shakti Dance, a um, Bharatanatyam Indian dance company. Um, I have the unique experience of being a, a, a Koken stagehand for a Bharatanatyam piece, which may have never, ever happened before. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just a magic mixing pot of, of cultures, of people um, bringing cultural backgrounds and sharing them. I mean, I'm a, you know, a, a, a Caucasian Canadian from a Francophone background, and I am studying this rich Japanese lineage. Um, and it's, it's presented with so much respect and passion by the people I, I get to study with that um, I, I feel permission to learn and permission to discover. And uh, that, I think, attitude of community lets, lets us work together so much more generatively. Well, Ryan, Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We've been speaking about Puss Reboot, your production at the uh, Vancouver Fringe Festival. Mm. And uh, have a great run. Thank you. Is there a little uh, sound bite that we can get to uh, give some atmosphere for the piece? Uh, we, we use in the piece um, the works of local artist April Fool Childrenhood. Um, and our designer... Uh, David Cowling is an artist who I've worked with in the past who I really love and um, I'd love to share a piece that we sample in our soundscape in the play it's uh, called Monster from his debut album
moving on with our coverage of the Vancouver Fringe Festival and the movement or dance works that are uh, a part of it this year, uh, we're going to be speaking with two ladies who are performing in the work Idola. Uh, this is a cast of 17 uh, inspired by Shakespearean characters, female characters. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Tasha Coote and Kelly Shackleford. Who, uh, who are two of the performers in this production. This is a site-specific work that's actually happening outside here at the uh, Granville Island site. And uh, as far as I understand, includes a few different locations as you take your, your audience on a journey. Uh, so the two of you are performers in the work. Uh, are you also uh, participants in the creation for the work? For the whole piece, every actor really had um, the ability to create their own most of what they worked on um most of the actors were given monologues so that was based on what the director did but then there's individual um creative loops that each actor gets to do each character has and so each actor created their own loop and brought their own you know creative flavor and their own talents to the project with that Okay, and you're saying actors, are these, uh, is everybody on board primarily an actor um, or primarily a mover or are they trained in both? Mm. I'd say that not everyone is, she took, the director took, uh, she's a high school drama teacher, so she took some of her students as well. So definitely building your um, experience as an actor. So they're coming into being actors but yes they everyone she took specific people for what they could do so she knew that uh, Tasha and I could dance so she put us in roles that would be able to be portrayed through dance and movement and where she knew some other characters she wanted you know a singing aspect we have an opera singer doing her part so she knew that everyone could bring something to the table whether it was acting dancing singing hula hooping we have um what else do we have? Some comedic skit? Yeah, so everyone could bring something different and new. With a cast of 17, there's a lot. Yeah. A lot of interesting new things. Lots of talents. Uh, perhaps to just get an idea, too, of, of the general structure of the work. You were talking about these fairies, uh, as in fair... Um, fictional fairy characters not as boats which I which I <laughs> previously misunderstood since we're on a little island here but uh, uh, what is the structure of the piece you were saying you, you have to repeat yourself three times you kind of every production run through three groups of, of audience members yeah yes so the the piece is basically guided by um, multiple different fairy characters uh, and there's three acts to the piece the idea of of the play is is one of female entrapment so at first you're guided in a group of about nine people with one of the fairies through each of the performers and everybody every group goes on a different route um and then in the second act people are allowed to um disperse and freely explore the space as they so choose and then the third part um the uh, everyone is brought together to the same to the characters and we are then released and you know freed from our entrapment and we do symbolically through taking off we all have a ribbon somehow tied on us and the audience then takes that ribbon off to symbolically free us and then we are able to join the whole group of women and we finish the show with a song I have to say you're making me think a lot of the uh, 
Sleep No More production that takes place in New York City, the one that's based on Macbeth, and it's a uh, it's in a warehouse. And there's no there's no text in the work, and you you kind of follow the characters around. Uh, and it's a very interactive kind of production. You, you, you look like you, you don't know what I'm talking about. So. I, I've, heard, I've heard the name come up um, multiple okay. times in the, in this production. So I think it, that might have been a bit of an influence for it or Sounds an like indirect it. influence. Very cool. Yeah. But I guess then uh, we can talk about the theme of using all these, these uh, Shakespearean female characters and, uh, and how uh, literal or abstract they are in, in, in this production. Like, how, how recognizable are these characters? That's been something I've been grappling with a bit myself, because I'm very familiar with a lot of Shakespearean plays, um, is does someone who has never seen anything Shakespeare before, doesn't know Shakespeare, can they come in and recognize what's going on, what conflicts are there? And I think with a lot of the characters, we have a lot of really, really familiar characters that people would know, like Lady Macbeth, um, I play Titania. I don't know how recognizable that is, but Midsummer Night's Dream tends to go on. Lavinia is a little more obscure. Um, but, you know, Ophelia, Cleopatra, yeah. So there's a lot of really familiar characters with familiar stories. And the ones that don't have familiar stories, we have the fairy explain sort of their situation and what's going on for them. So hopefully it's accessible to all audiences. Maybe you could speak a bit about the development of your characters in in the form of movement, which is is what you you both are focused in in, in this production. Um, so, how did you take that that character that you were given and then develop it through movement? Well, my character is Lavinia, and she comes from the Titus Androgynous. I think it's called um, Shakespearean play, and I'd never heard of it before. And her character is she's a daughter of a king and she's trapped in she's trapped in her role as a helpless kind of female she gets raped and her tongue gets cut out and her hands get cut off and so my interpretation of that character agreed with by the director was to you know with movement and dance to represent how she is trapped in she's not able to speak and she can't she can't let people know who her her um people are that raped her <laughs> um, so she's not able to like verbally portray that or even write it out and so through doing that I'm doing movement that is it shows distress it shows vulnerability it shows um, to the audience how you know I'm caught in caught in my role yeah so you took a kind of a specific uh, element of who this character was and really dove into that to to portray her in that way. Right, yeah. I took the her role of being um, so to speak destroyed and at what she felt like afterwards to show how she was a woman trapped in not being respected, not being able to, you know, defend for herself and showing that through movement and I'm in a sand pit the entire time. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. And so, actually, in the end, I then tell the who my um, what did I call them? Abusers, Abusers I guess. Abuser, yeah. yeah. I then write it out with my feet, so then I through the sand I tell everybody, the audience, who they were. So I took a really different approach. Um, I play Titania, and I have um, 
a dance partner, a male dance partner who's playing the role of Bottom, who gets transformed into sort of a donkey-human hybrid. So I approached it from having another animal to play off of and playing off that sort of, um, you know, two different animals. So all my movements come from something that I thought a spider would do because I'd never seen a Titania like that had that sort of movement quality and I've seen it before and I thought it was really really interesting um so yeah all my movement comes from that place of like what would a spider do and then with the the Titania bottom dynamic you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of love there but there's a lot of confusion as well so it was uh creating sort of almost a storyline to be dancing out that shows just enough love in the right places, just enough affection, but also is a little bit, you know, almost abusive or um, shows that, that true confusion from both characters, um, from Bottom's confusion of, you know, what is, what is Titania doing? Why is she throwing herself on me to me literally, you know, physically throwing myself onto the character of Bottom as much as I possibly can? So lots of climbing movements and big throws, big lifts. Um, yeah. And you worked, um, you're performing this in an outdoor uh, site? Yes. Yeah. Um, how was the process of, of creating that in a site-specific environment? Did you work in that site during the creation process, or was it something that came after the work was created and then moved into, uh, into the outdoor site that you would be in for the Fringe? Uh, 50-50 for me. Um, I'd say my my piece has has two sections. There is sort of the acting section of um, Titania and Bottom starting to appreciate each other and love each other. And then there's an improvised um, partner dancing section that happens afterwards. So none of that improvised partner dancing was really something that we could work on until we got, a, got out into the space. Because what you can do in the dance studio, what you can do with dance shoes on is so completely different from what you can do on dirt wearing, I'm wearing um, Vibram five fingers, but they're very sticky to the floor. So I feel like I'm dancing in sap. So for a lot of the, the moves that we generally do, there's a lot of turning, you know, fast turns, multiple turns. I'm lucky if I can get one, maybe two turns in and make it look elegant. Um, but on the flip side, it's much, much easier to do jumps because there's a lot more of that um, traction that you wouldn't have as much in the studio. Um, but definitely that first part, we just, you know, you can't, we can't come out to the site all the time because it's a playground. There's kids on the playground all the time. So, I mean, we'd come out here and it'd be like 11.30 at night after everybody else has stopped rehearsing and try to get a couple run-throughs in. But mostly it was just, you know, in a living room in a dance studio that we worked on it. And I didn't decide any of my moves really until I was in the sand pit and working with the things around me. So I have trees around me and kind of stumps that are built up and uh, ledges. So I've kind of worked around that and how would I best, you know, portray my distress to the um, to the audience members. So yeah, I work with the sand a lot and, you know, just trying to show frantic movements of trying to get my voice out there, get my word out there. So I waited till I was in the... Um, practicing to be able to do that. Yeah. Something 
else unique about this performance? A lot of a lot of this is unique, but also that all the ticket sales are going to local women's charities, a uh, different one every night, as far as I understand it. Um, how, as, as performers in the work and not instigators of the project, uh, how do you feel about being involved in uh, in a political work in this way? I, I really enjoyed it, and I thought that was one of the best aspects of the show, is that it's based around, you know... Um, women being trapped in their roles and it being able to help centers around Vancouver. Um, it was the director's idea and she chose each of the venues to donate to each night, but each of them are equally awesome to donate to. So no one has, has any problems with that. And with so many, that's why she said she could have so many actors in the show as well, because we're, none of us are getting paid for it. So it's, you know, we don't have any money coming in from it. It's all just going to charity. So yeah, it's it's great to give back. I mean, I was just sort of trying to figure out the financial side of these this production, and with the we can only have an audience of about twenty five to thirty people. Um, anything more than that just wouldn't work for the show, which is quite small. So that only generates a certain amount of ticket sales. And as far as I am aware, I'm not sure who was the donor for this, but the um, the, the registration fee and all of that was donated for the show. So to be able to give back to the community after the community gave to us to be able to even put this on and be part of it is really big to me. So without that donation, you know, I wouldn't be able to be doing this. And is, is there a future for the Elegant Ladies Collective or for, for Leslie Stark's projects that you, that you foresee being a part of? I'm not really sure. I'd love to work with Leslie again. This is my second project working with her. So I'm sure for sure that some things will definitely come out of this. And also now that she knows 17 pretty much brand new people almost and knows what each of us can do, that hopefully she'll you know be able to call on us if she needs somebody to dance or somebody to sing. So it's really nice to meet you know new people and have that opening. And just to finish off the interview, we're going to be listening to uh, a piece of music that plays during your solo, Tasha. Do you want to do you want to tell us a bit about it and where it came from? Um, this is a song called "Riders of the Apocalypse," and it is written and produced by one of my friends, uh, the Creature. Thank you so much, ladies. We've been speaking with uh, Tasha Coot and Kelly Shackleford about. Idola, which is another production, multimedia production, being presented as part of the Vancouver Fringe Festival this summer. Thank you so much.
next we will be speaking to Iris Lau, um, who is the uh, choreographer of the show Definition of Time here at the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Um, Definition of Time is a combination of dance and theater. Um, it, it sounds very, uh, very beautiful. Um, they speak about memories, voice, thought, emotion. All of this is, is um, in the description of this uh, show that's playing at The Cult, which is actually the same venue as for Body and Light here at the Vancouver Fringe. So thank you so much for sitting down with us, Iris. Thank you so much. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, your background in dance and how you came here to Vancouver to pursue uh, dance. Uh, I actually I was born in Hong Kong and I trained in the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts, and uh, it's focusing performance. So uh, everyone in there we are like a dance performer, and then after I graduate from the academy, I um, did few years um, professional dancer. So I felt oh it's probably the time um, doing other things. Um, to to make myself more into an artist, <laughs> being an artist. So uh, I choose the MFA program in SFU, and then that program um, gave me a lot. Other than dance, they have like a theater, uh, music, and visual arts training, which I think, other than dance, um, making a performance can be um, mixed with other things, and then. Um, the meaning can be more beautiful. So that's my background. I'm kind of shifting from dance into the theater. Yeah, very interdisciplinary approach yeah. at SFU. And definitely it sounds like you, you bring that into your work. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about the concept behind Definition of Time, your show here. Uh, actually, the concept was uh, from the time I was in Hong Kong. Um, I think it's before I start my study in Vancouver, 2008. So a couple years ago, I made my first um, uh, uh, choreography about time. And then uh, that is the first one. And then I bring that uh, choreography, apply for my MFA, and then I got in. And then during the time in SFU, I choreographed uh, two more two more pieces and then I back to Hong Kong work on other things then it seems like it's a time to give the the time an ending <laughs> so I was like okay give give it an ending so how to end it like uh, at that moment um, kind of talk about the concept with my friends and then they 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 say it seems like some theory in arts when you define for example, you define postmodern. Actually, postmodern that period of time is already has already finished. So, uh, my friends say, "Well, just make a show definition of time." So it's like um, a last one. He he say it's like the last one of the whole series, but at the same time like a conclusion. <laughs> so the everything comes out is like okay, let's give it an ending, give the story a full stop. <laughs> Wow, so this piece is really kind of a conclusion of your whole uh, study on time as being a subject for your work. Yeah, actually it was like this, but when I choreograph, there's more content and more other things uh, 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 comes up. 
And then I felt, oh, it's still a lot to to study on on time. And then like, okay, it's supposed an ending, but should I keep going that? But like, um, well, let's say for now, I felt、mm, just a pause on on time this project. But at the same time, it's really good. Like a memory, how I、uh, grow up from the first one, and then now to the last one.、Uh, let's say fifth one. <laughs> yeah, it's always a struggle to kind of try to put a stop to time. I guess is a, <laughs> is an interesting point you make on that. Um, and you spoke of of interdisciplinary work at、uh, during your master's at Simon Fraser University. Yeah.、Um, how does does that interdisciplinary element come into this show,、um, or is it is it strictly dance?、Uh, what what does the show kind of consist of artistically?、Um, let's say my background is more. Dance, so I don't want like totally wash out the dance、uh, element. I still love、uh, movement, so I keep、um, like movement vocabulary. I will still the main things I express myself. But at the same time,、um, when I was in SFU, I worked closely with theater、um, area. And then a、uh, few of my friends, they are theater director or actor, so they used to do the devising during the process. So it's good, like、uh, they bring their own idea or they bring their other thoughts about time during the project. So I like it, and I say、uh, I encourage my ensemble, like if you think. Anything's about time or any movement or any scene, movie, whatever. Just bring into the rehearsal, and then we can share. And then that's how it inspired other people. And also, like,、um, it's really good、uh, because interdisciplinary. I don't、uh, kind of I don't limit myself. Just like okay, if the theme is dance, no, no, it's a ta- time. Then just let it around time and everything around time is like a music, and then、um, I have a friend wrote me、uh, the text in the show, so he wrote beautifully.、Um, is is like a poet, so I put it in the show, and also、um, is like a mime. Just、uh, they do some gesture or whatever they express、um, what they think about time. So everything, I would say. The theme is about time, but anything. If I felt it can express myself and express the piece, I will just put it in, into the show. But like, keep the the main idea, the concept is time. I mean, of course, there's this link between your your medium and your thematic. If if we're we're using a performance, live performance, this very ephemeral. Thing where you have this run and it, and it happens、uh, in the moment and then it disappears, and and you're using this this format to discuss this this thing that is also so hard to kind of hold on to.、Um, I, I, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that kind of、um, what my thoughts mix. Are. Just just the fact that you're using such、um, a medium. That is so dependent on time,、mm. and that it is so time specific、mm. to talk about time. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when when I think of that, is already some well, kind of like a restriction, but also some advantage when I make this piece is、uh, because live performance is always limit on 
in that moment. So everything happened at that time. What's happened is just that we 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 cannot change it. We cannot go back,、uh, move backward. And then I think this is the beautiful beautiful things about about dance because、um, you can watch a live show, but at the same time you can watch the. Documentary, like a a, a video of the t-、uh, of the dance, but probably is different feeling. Like you watch it live or you watch the the video, and time is、uh, when you experience it, you feel oh now is the the moment we really enjoy, or you work in a very shitty environment, you think oh gosh why is so. Long time, and then like you still experience that. So everything about the experience, about、um, how we feel, everything around us, but it's like an indicate of time. So it's like very good、um, in live performance. You have different elements to stimulate, and then like how you feel that moment in the theater, and then how it interpret time as well. So kind of something. Beautiful of live performance. <laughs> having having a foot still in kind of the Hong Kong industry and dance,、um, we're, we're of course you know coming at、uh, at Vancouver from a different perspective as well, and we're curious what、uh, what the scene is like here, and, and if you could if you could compare and contrast and kind of give us some information about、uh, the dance scene in Vancouver and kind of of where you stand in it, having this this、uh, other background is.、Mm-hmm. It's funny in here.、Um, I don't know if I interpret it correctly or not, but I felt here is more theater. So theater is is a a very、um, crucial element in in Vancouver performing industry, but at the same time,、uh, they're very open to accept other disciplines. Like a movement, dance, or music, or they just invite some、uh, videographer. They they do some projection in the show. I really, to be honest, I I like it because like、um, it's not limited yourself in one film, but in well, let's say compare with my my own background in Hong Kong, we are quite limited. In the in the dance, so dance is only movement. So if you do theater, for example, in my show we sing a song in the in the show, then they will curious: is it is it a, a dance show or this is an another show or whatever? But、uh, well, I I I think here is more open if an artist you can express the 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 theme, the concept clearly, you will. You will have your own audience, yeah, and then like、uh, more relied on the the public, the commun,、uh, the society, how they how they support the art. In Hong Kong, is more like grants. You get the grants from the from the government. So I will say here I can see more vi- variety, more different artists, more different shows. Uh, I, I'm not sure compared with the east side of Canada, but in here really inspired me.、Um, in not only in my own profession, it's also like、uh, how I how I see dance or how I see a performance. 
You spoke a bit earlier about working with uh, with different artists on things such as text, um, and and you spoke about a song mm-hmm. uh, in your show. I'm curious as to how you work with other dancers, your dancers that you're choreographing on. Um, are they part of your creative process, or or do you create the movement um, on to them and, and teach it to them? What is what is your working process with your dancers? Actually, um, in my ensemble, I I am one of the dancer, and I have uh, two more dancer so they are now training in SFU or they graduate from SFU dance program but I have the other two uh, performer they they are and they were uh, theater actor from SFU program so uh, kind of half half is like a dance pure dance training and then the other half is like a theater training but like uh, I I do like uh, sometimes Dancer's body is quite well trained, so we are so good on lie, lying. We tell lies through our movement. But uh, theater actor, they are very true. They, their body is like an a ordinary body. They just tell what's daily life, what they express it, which is I think is a very good uh, materials when I work with them. Those uh, daily movement or how they just do something daily they thought is about time, really one of the inspiration when I create a movement. So um, that's one thing they inspired me during the process, but at the same time is um, during the whole process, I also create some movement for them. So they will like uh, learn a sequence of uh, a set choreography. So after they know it, they, some of the movement is uh, the anchor of the movement vocabulary. They have to do it in the show, but they will make their own uh, solo or their own duet by those movements. So kind of um, an interact, uh, interact process. I give them something, they give me something. And then I give them dance movement, they give me some daily gesture, something like that. It's very collaborative and uh, very inspired by the specific people that you're, that you're working with. Yeah, yeah. actually. I felt... Uh, well, the best thing is um, they very generous. They they share their thoughts. They share their movement. They share what they feel. So uh, that's more important how how good the technique they 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 were because um, it's not only they copy my movement. It's also how they they interpret the whole movement or how they 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 see my movement and then. S- from that point they interpret the time so it's it's kind of cool because in Hong Kong <laughs> I, I, I can't stop I compare with Hong Kong but in Hong Kong we are like choreographer whatever they ask us to do just do it and then like okay what's the, the point of that uh, we kick the leg so high or we do a, a, a split in the station no point maybe <laughs> just because aesthetically it looks it look nice, so they, they asked us to do. Yeah, so it's different different culture and different um, different thoughts on 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 dance. Yeah, it's really exciting. I always find it's very exciting to see uh, non dancers dancing. And you were speaking about uh, working with 
theater performers and that the difference in the way that they interpret movement as opposed to uh, dancers that are very highly trained and, and how interesting that contrast can be. I, um, I definitely really like that when watching a show. I find it very uh, aesthetically interesting. And uh, Last time I really asked my musician to, to, to move too. So it's so funny you see them when they, they move in a different way. Definitely musician has a different body movement uh, a style with dancer or actor but uh, when he move on the stage is also another, another aspect show the, the concept and I really think nice to see different type of body or different type of body they have their own history and then their own history how they affect their 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 movement today so that's something something different uh, when i feel now i do the, the 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 show about time is about how the history and then how their past time affect now so it's is another inspiration. <laughs> so you were speaking about closing this kind of chapter in, in your study of time with this show and that this being kind of the last, the last page of this book on time that you've been creating in a way. Um, do you see yourself going off in another direction thematically? Is there another theme that is kind of calling to you and saying, you know, create, create this, or, or what do you see next in, in terms of your creation? Uh, other than time, I really like to do some, some shows about the society. So kind of starting one direction is I, um, I do the show... Uh, is monopoly not only the game monopoly is also like um, talking about the uh, society how the capitalists or um, the greedy of um, of the toppers of the of the society how it affects the, the people how it affects the public but at the same time how much we use to the to this structure of our society. So, uh, well, it is really fun when starting doing that kind of uh, research. I find out, uh, well, let's say an example like uh, Apple, they do some advertisement. When they do the advertisement, it's like gradually you are affected by the advertisement, but we don't feel that. But until you start really deep research on the capitalist or research on the modern commercial um, how they make the, the television uh, commercial then you find oh you actually is in the system you affected by others so that kind of interesting how I jump out from the the, the, the system but see the system how it affects the other people that's one thing <laughs> So we're going to listen to a piece of music from, from your show, Definition of Time. Maybe yeah. you could tell us a little bit about the composer uh, of this piece. Uh, the composer is uh, Elia Vaughn. He is a uh, Vancouver 
bass uh, musician. Um, I met him in SFU also, and then he is uh, very talented. He can play viola, he can play accordion, and also any type of uh, daily object. He can just play a piece of music, a beautiful piece of music. So. It's kind of we have same vision on arts, like ordinary things we make it into art. So uh, I will say uh, he make beautiful music, he make weird music, but also uh, he make music meaningful. I will say. <laughs> oh, well, great. Well. Um We've been speaking to Iris Lau, who's the choreographer and creator of Definition of Time here at the Vancouver Fringe. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, Iris. Thank you. <laughs>
So we're back with our uh, last interview of the day. Uh, the last show we're going to be speaking with is um, Cannibal the Musical. And we're going to be talking to the choreographer of that show, Lisa Goebel. Um, and Cannibal the Musical is a, a very graphic, exciting title that you can just imagine uh, a lot of blood, a lot of cannibalism, a lot of music, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> Am I on the right track? You are definitely on the right track, <laughs> yes. And uh, in the program here, it says that uh, Cannibal the Musical is uh, written by Trey Parker. That's correct, yes. Who, who worked on uh, South Park um, and also on the Book of Mormon. Yes, so Cannibal actually is the first project that I guess is open to the public that Trey Parker had written. He wrote it in when he was in college uh, and Matt Stone, who is a also a founder of South Park, was in Cannibal the Musical as well. So the film that this is based on, which took place in 1993, um, featured both Trey Parker as Alfred Packer, who's the lead character, and Matt Stone as one of the minors. So how did this... Uh this come into the Vancouver Fringe as a Fringe show, and yes. how did you come to be the choreographer of right. the show? Yes, well, Corwin Ferguson, who is the lovely director, um, happened to be obsessed with this movie when he was in high school, um, and it actually has a bit of a cult following now. There's um, quite a few people that um, know the references and, and know the film very well. And so there's a stage version, and it was his dream to put it on, and finally, with awkward stage productions, he's been able to do that. So, we're in the fringe. <laughs> yeah. So, I imagine the choreography is uh, comedic yes. choreography. Is this the, uh, the genre that you have worked in as a choreographer? What's your background um, in choreography and in dance? Sure. So, I grew up as a studio kid. I did competitions and since I was a child, just doing all forms of dance. Uh, and after graduating from high school, I went to Studio 58, which is a theater program, and choreographed a few shows with them there, and also did a few more musicals, um, became dance captain of some shows, and from there I've been choreographing both musicals and Shakespeare's, a few things like that, in town. Um, as for the comedic, yeah, it is quite a comedic choreography. A lot of it isn't necessarily dance, but it is movement-based physical theater work that they're doing as well. There's some animal work. Uh, we have a girl playing a horse um, and a sheep. So they're doing definitely some character animal work. And there's also some dance, can-can, a little bit of Charleston influence um, and in the musical theater genre. So the choreography that you did uh, for this production was very much based around the script that, that already existed. Yes, so the scores are already in the film, so I really listened to those and then took my influence from that. Uh, the movement in the movie, movie is quite limited. Uh, it's basically the guys in his film class that they've sort of thrown together some movement. So I have some steps which are attributed to that because it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I know that the dance in the movie took the longest for them to film, around 14 takes for some of the, just, you know, trying to get choreography together. So we do have some of that influenced in the stage version as well. We were speaking uh, just earlier today uh, to one of the performers at the festival about working with 
uh, actors doing movement, uh, I guess in, in this context I'm saying, versus working with movers yes. on movement. Um, and, and, and what is that process like for you in, in, in the production of Cannibal the Musical? Right. So it is a bit different working with actors than it is with dancers. Um, but I find that they have a lot of offers to give and they really, they bring another level. You know, if maybe a step isn't something they know how to do, but they'll make a gesture or something that maybe suits the character more. So they're able to find, they're able to, um, sorry, that's just a bike going by. <laughs> they're able to, um, to make it their own in a bit of a in their own way that maybe in dance if I just was to say the steps a dancer would do it if I say that to an actor they're not able to necessarily understand the steps but they'll give me something else so it is a different way of doing things but I think they've done quite well and I'm also quite lucky to work with such a large cast for a fringe show we have 12 performers on stage and often in musicals nowadays there's not a lot of there's not a lot of dancing there's not a lot of ensemble because it's the funding's not there, so I'm, I've been blessed in a way to have such a large group of people to work with. And timeline-wise, how much time did you have to work with this cast? Yes, so I had one week to choreograph all the numbers. Uh, they, I think they learned mu- music in a week, and then I had a week to do dance, and in between that they did all the acting, and so we had a third week to refine but yes, it was about one week. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. That must also affect kind of how you choreograph if you, if you know that you don't have all this time to invest in kind of getting getting your choreography across to the performers. Exactly. I, um, I usually come in with it all prepared. And then if something needs to be changed on the spot, then I'm flexible with that. But there's not a lot of time in the space to create as a group. If they have offers, then I can put that in. But I, I come with it all ready. Uh, having the opportunity to also speak with other artists who are kind of working in musical theater or choreographing for theater, um, they're, they're you know it's it's never the primary focus on a production like that. Uh, you know, you're talking about how lucky you are to be in this in this involved in this production. Can you speak at all to to having to take a back seat as a choreographer, like as an artist collaborating on this project, but understanding the where the importance of what your contribution is to the larger picture? I yeah, I get where you're going with that. <laughs> um, yeah, so sometimes choreography does take the back burner, especially when you need to focus on vocals and acting and. Um, songs can get cut very easily if things aren't working and movement can get reduced especially if someone's trying to sing something and the movement uh, conflicts with that then the movement obviously gets cut and not the singing so it's really just learning how to be flexible with um, working with the other you know the musical director who's Andy Toth and the director to try and come to a happy medium I mean that's all I really can do and and then fight for the bits that I really want yeah, pick your yeah. battles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Awkward Stage Production Society is uh, the company title that you guys are under here at the Fringe. Um, have you worked together on previous uh, projects, or is this uh, just kind of been thrown together? Um, will you be working together in the future? Right. What is the outlook for that? Yeah, this is um, my first production with the company. Um, they've been operating since, I believe, 2010, and they work with youth uh, to young adults. 
that are in that stage of their career where it's hard to get work because they don't have the experience. Um, I think I will be working with them again. Uh, I've really loved working with them and especially working with youth. They have an energy that like cannot be matched by any other group of people. So it's been a fantastic time. And so I assume um, maybe from Trey Parker's other work that this is not a family-friendly show, or is it? (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps family-friendly is not the best way to put it. Um, It does have some coarse language, and yes, so maybe, you know, teenagers and up. Yes, there's some blood and gore, and maybe people eating people so I mean that yes so you just need to be prepared for that um a la the humor of Trey Parker so yes and uh your choreography your personal work um where is that going after this are you involved in other projects people can follow you uh see what you're doing how can uh people see what what's next for you as a choreographer um as of right now I don't have anything Land. I have some shows in talks right now, but I don't have anything right now upcoming. Um, but I'm hoping to continue doing some musicals in Vancouver in the next season coming up. So, yeah. So we're going to hear a, a piece of music from the show, uh, Cannibal the Musical. I wonder, Lisa, could you set us up for what we're about to hear? Yes, you'll be hearing Hang the Bastard, which is the finale number. And it's also the number that has the entire ensemble they're speaking about the hanging of the cannibal and whether he dies or not is up to you to find out when you come see the show great well we've been uh enjoying speaking with lisa gobel who's uh the choreographer for the show cannibal the musical here at the vancouver fringe festival thank you so much for speaking with us today thanks for having me I know that today will be a day that goes down in history as a day in which justice was truly served. Now let's hang the bastard! Hang the bastard, hang him high, hoist his body to the sky. It's as nice as a day can be. Won't you come to the hanging with me? up here to get a good view and when his eyes bug out we'll know it's the end of him and the end of the show so hang the bastard hanging with cheer we'll make some hot dogs and drink a few beers and when his tongue rolls out we'll know it's the end of the show and we all can go home but not till we hang the bastard hang him here the most exciting thing Town is seen in years when his body stops jerking, we'll know. It's the end of him. It's the end of him. It's the end of him. And the end of the show. Cowbell solo.
will pop out all over his head. We'll tickle his armpits to make sure he's dead. And when his tongue rolls out, we'll know it's the end of him and we all can go home. It's the end of him! So this episode, you've been listening to the soothing voices of myself, Alison Burns, and Linnea Giviazda, uh, who's uh, been so generous as to uh, co-host with us uh, while we go across the country and talk about uh, different uh, different shows happening, uh, either movement or dance shows at the fringes across Canada, and also uh, different interviews we've had along the way. We've had the pleasure of speaking with um, uh, a lot of interesting people with uh, episodes that have yet to be released, so more information on that to come. Uh, in the meantime, though, we are going to do our, our typical wrap-up where we talk about uh, how the Four Body and Light Tour is going and talk specifically about our experiences here at the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Uh, Steph is not joining us today, but we do have Ian Ferrier, who is uh, the spoken word poet and musician, uh, in the show for the first time to actually lend his uh, his opinion on uh, on our experience here on the Fringe tour. I have to actually speak. <laughs> you are very familiar with microphones at this point. I'm sure. I'm sure it won't be that bad, that painful. But yeah, so so we've uh, landed in in Vancouver. We've had a couple shows already. Um, we're in a beautiful, I think the most beautiful theater we've been in yet at the Colch here in town, and it's just a it's like a two hundred seater. It's very, uh, it's a historical theater, old seats, uh, beautiful wide space, tall venue. Um, who wants to get started? The landing was kind of a shock, I think, just because. Uh, well, the first day we were here, uh, the production people from the theater started yelling at us for throwing water around, which is pretty hard not to do when water is like the climactic moment in your show. So mm-hmm. that was a little unusual. Uh, and so it felt kind of bumpy here for the first two or three days. I don't know how you guys felt, but that's how it hit me. And then... Um, but since that time, it's gotten better. I, I love this place. It's so gorgeous. Mm. We're getting amazing weather for Vancouver, too. Sunlight in Vancouver is, like, a fantastic thing. Um, so uh, I'm in a funny kind of place. Like, I'm dreaming of my own bathtub, which is, like, six <laughs> days away or something like that. But at the same time, I still want to do justice to this show that we've been doing for so long, you know. Um, just because I still think it's a really good show, and I'm beginning to dream of what to do next too you know so that's where i am i don't know how how you feel yeah i definitely feel like i would love to put the tour on hold and like go home and use my kitchen and see my friends and uh and then come back (laughs) yeah i think uh it it takes it takes me an effort to say okay i'm gonna really focus on this and do it as well as i can now whereas that didn't used to be the case you know so i think that's just end, end of the tour kind of uh I don't know what it is, just having done it a lot, you know. Do you mean the actual performance of the work? Yeah. 
Hmm. I definitely feel like the performance has, has, has evolved. I, I'm taking a lot of pride in the show these days. I feel very like, um, in control of it and of my performance of it. Um, which is not to say kind of, uh, zoned out, but it's definitely a meditation of its own. Yeah, and I've started looking at different parts of it, you know, saying how, where would I push that? How can I push that? You know, looking for, since we, we know, know the general order and the general tone, you know, what can, how can you tweak it to get, just some, extract a little more out of each section, you know? That's fun. That's exciting. Yeah. There was a moment where uh, when we were doing our tech here in Vancouver, I was trying to conserve my energy so I didn't want to give my everything in that in that run of the work. We just wanted to kind of go through the spacing and kind of make sure that it works in the, in the new venue. Um, and I found myself, it was so easy to slip into performance mode that I had to remind myself to take it easy and to turn it off. And that was an interesting revelation that, it, that I'm, I'm so used to gearing myself up to that point that it just comes automatically now to, to be present and to have my eyes open and to kind of project uh, even in a room of like two people <laughs> that are just there because they're concerned about what we're going to do their, to their <laughs> curtains. <laughs> I've also discovered that hand building is a great way to meet people. You can just sort of choose whoever you want to talk to and then come up to them and start a conversation. So that's fun. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, being here in our last city um, it's really exciting to feel so confident about the show. Um, and I think that's something that happened uh, that we all recognized when we were confronted with the situation where we're in a historic theater and um, they're, they really have to be careful about what goes in that space. But, you know, we do have 16 liters of water in our show. And uh, that was that was known ahead of time before we arrived. We purchased a brand new tarp in order to kind of cover more of the stage and try to keep the water a bit more contained. Um, but yet, you know, there there was definitely concerns from the theater about it. And it turns out that that uh, we could work together and, and compromise and, and it, uh, make it work for everyone involved, which has been really great. Um, but I think through that whole experience, we all had so much confidence in the way we were, we were coming to the table and saying, no, this is important. This is our show. This is a show that's, that's been incredibly successful for us, and I think more so than, than we had anticipated leaving Montreal. You know, we didn't really know what we were getting into, bringing a, a kind of um, mysterious... Uh, mellow dance and spoken word show on the road to a to a fringe audience that's very interested in comedy, very interested in in just going to a show to sit back, relax, and laugh. And uh, that doesn't really happen in in what we do. So we're we were nervous about that, and then we realized, well, in fact there is an audience for that. People are interested in something that's in a way on the fringe of the fringe itself because it doesn't really fit into the fringe in a lot of respects. Um, and yet it's been so well received. So we come in to our last, uh, last city with the show. We're, we're far away from the central fringe grounds here at Granville Island. We're out at the Kulch Historic Theatre, which is by Commercial Drive. Um, anyone who might know Vancouver's layout, that, that's a good 45-minute uh, bus ride away. So that's been a challenge, but yet we've come in knowing we have a good show and that the audience that's going to show up is going to enjoy it. 
and um, that we're happy with it. And we're working so well together as a team. And, and I feel like we've gotten to the point um, on the second half of the tour where, at least for me, every time I get out on stage, I'm excited to perform the show because uh, I'm enjoying every moment of it now. Um, and I feel like it's so much a part of me and a part of us. And, and we have so much confidence in each other that we can just enjoy that moment. Now we have four more shows left. And honestly, who knows what's going to happen after this? And so that's kind of an, an interesting feeling as well to think, well, this might be the last four times we ever perform this work. Yikes. That's a huge question in performance, too. You know, it's like, where does it go once you've done it? Uh, and I still don't know the answer to that, really. Um, uh, something else that's interesting that's happened to us uh, since we left Victoria is that we went to Gabriela Island to do a, a quick performance there. Um, and, and that really came to mind when you were talking about compromises <laughs> and, and, and adjustments. And I think... I think for myself and I don't think I'm the only one I found it very refreshing we were doing it in a, in a space that was uh, not a typical theater space it was uh, this beautiful new home that uh, Ian's friend uh, just made three months ago and uh, so of course we, we had to be very respectful of her space and that um, forced us to be innovative about how we used the space and what we did with the show and how we structured it differently and it was so nice to kind of perform it in a way where you had to be very active again and have to be very aware of the space and of each other and the changes and to kind of give it a little bit more life uh, in, in that way. And I especially love the sort of just the detail of of getting the audience up out of their seats and getting them in this particular show, the audience had to move uh, two thirds of the way through the show to see what was going on, you know, and I've always loved that idea. It's sort of uh, that the audience is not sitting back watching that they're either active in their own minds and how they bring it into their lives or else they're physically active in where they choose to be and how they choose to see it and and how they choose to interact with the space. What was really exciting to me about that show as well is it, is it kind of brought us back to where we began in the first place, which was in the context of showing up at a random show or space and doing something with the material that we had. Um, and maybe that show was kind of formulated just in words right before we went on on the stage or not even the stage. And, and so that idea of kind of going back to this site-specific, um, spontaneous mode of performance that we had kind of started with, which was really the root of, of what For Body and Light began as... Um, was kind of exciting to me. It reminded me of, of how far we've sort of come with our exploration together as, as a collective group. Um, and, and it was, yeah, it was just a beautiful moment, I think, to kind of get to reconnect with that side of, of who we are as artists, which all of us are, are really interested in that sort of, uh, unconventional performance environment and what can be done with that. Also reaching out to these smaller communities like the one on Gabriola Island, the one in Parsboro, Nova Scotia, where a lot of this uh, work was was created or inspired by last year, last August, um, during our residency there. So there's a lot of parallels to that same environment where you're showing up in a very small 
uh, community and they're so interested in what you're doing because it's brand new to them and it's so innovative. Um, that, that's what's one of the things that's really exciting to me about working with you guys too is that uh, it's just I trust you completely to be able to come up with something no matter what the situation is, and I and I trust myself to do that too. That's something that we we all built, you know, and it gives us a lot of confidence that whatever the situation is, we're going to bring something that people haven't seen before, that they're going to be interested in, and that's going to involve a lot of what we know and what we can bring, you know, so. Any thoughts about coming to the end other than being being ready for it at this point? I think those are, I think the moments of the whole tour are gonna on the plane back they're gonna start to stack up, you know, and I'm gonna start to see them uh vertically as all the things that happened, you know, rather than <clears throat> where where we are now and oh god we have to have this over here at this time or that over there at that time, you know. Uh I think the entire tour has been such an experience and uh, I'm, I'm personally not flying back um, with the rest of them to Montreal right away. I'm going back to Vancouver Island and spending uh, 12 days kind of decompressing over there with my family in Victoria. And to me, looking ahead at that, uh, those 12 days, I, I see them as very essential, I think, because it is a real, it's a letdown when you do a show and then suddenly it's over. And in this case, we've we've just, you know, come across the country being in this very intense situation altogether, meeting so many amazing other artists that we can now call, you know, some of our closest friends in a way. So the the loss of that is going to be really really sad, I think. So it's going to take that time to sort of settle um and then and then really to pick up the pieces and figure out okay, well I love I love being creative. I love working in in art and I hope I always will get to do what I love to do. So how can I continue doing that? And it's only by uh kind of following through with that cycle of motivation, not not falling too down in the dumps after something so high energy and amazing, um and thinking, All right, well, how can I do that again? Maybe not the fringe tour, maybe not uh maybe not for body and light but how can i get that feeling again with within um within an art piece yeah i i personally always like to have something to go to because i'm not very good at starting from scratch ever so uh, i'm already thinking of new stuff to do i think you know and what it'll feel like and uh taking the experience of this has given me a lot of uh confidence that the next project will be as good you know so that's good yeah starting from scratch sucks you know <laughs> it's better to have something on simmer and another thing like medium high and something on low and yeah yeah I love what you were saying Linnea I feel very very fortunate to have had this experience and to be a part of this project it's been a real adventure and and it has you know given given us a taste of uh, or at least myself it's given me a taste of of a kind of uh, way of living and it's a it's a really exciting way we're really lucky too that it, i mean everybody in this project brings something all the time uh, i really trust you guys to 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 cover what you cover and me to cover what i cover and, and everybody to do it so that it works you know that's a 
that doesn't always happen. Often in a tour, there's one person who's like complaining the whole time, or they get sick, or you know something happens like that. And we haven't had any of that really. You know, we've just said, okay, we got to do this thing, and we all do it. So that's that's fantastic to me. It's communication, people. <laughs> but it's also commitment. You know, it's also we're going to do this. We're going to do it well. I think it's also trusting in the project and 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 realizing that there are going to be down moments um there's going to be a bad review there's going to be a show that uh maybe has very few people in the audience and and to through all of that still you know understand that what you're doing is worthwhile and is interesting and to be and to be committed to to seeing that through all the way um and kind of throwing your entire self into that no matter what happens and i think we all kind of have that uh that quality in ourselves to to really be invested in what we're doing care about it so much and uh know that what we're doing is interesting and you know, take whatever blows that, that come our way. And we've been lucky in the sense that uh, our show has been incredibly well received and, um, and we've done really well. But uh, through the highs and through the lows, yeah, we've, we've kind of always uh, pulled through because we have this one goal and that's to, you know, to bring for body and light on this tour and to perform it really, really well. Well, we still have four shows left, but uh, as far as Dirty Feet is concerned, that's going to wrap up our coverage of uh, the CAF, uh, Canadian Association of Fringe Festivals, for the summer of 2014 coverage. And also, uh, that'll be the end of our updates of the Four Body and Light tour that we've been doing uh, alongside the Dirty Feet coverage. Uh, you can also, I'm going to be blogging some of the stuff that happened on a site called litlive.ca, which is the Canadian Review of Literature and Performance. Brilliant. So if you're hungry for more info about, uh, about our tour, go check that out. Thanks so much for listening. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on the website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.